It's 4 p.m. Stand up. It's count time. It's time for every man and woman to stand up and be counted. I'm Brother L. D. Azobra, and I'd like to welcome you to another edition of Count Time Podcast. I don't know how to say this today, but you know we do what we call a living legend segment. <laughs> well, he think it's funny. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm with a living legend right here to my right. That's the legend. We have the living legend here, the voice of the LSU Fighting Tigers football, basketball. Welcome to Count Time, Mr. Dan Barnett. Thank you so much, Lyman. It's an honor to be with you. I followed your career over all your years. and. I respect you and look forward to chatting with you. Right, well, you did good. How much are you for that? <laughs> <laughs> well, good. your makeup people did a great job <laughs> on you, anyway. Okay, you look like you're about 20 years younger. Oh, man. I really, Dad, you tell you too much, Dad. Yeah. I'll let you know the reason he's so good like that. He worked with, used to work with Governor Edwin Edwards, and we gonna get to that. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> that's I did. gonna be a sure pretty did. good story. But this young man here is the voice of LSU Fighting Tigers. Have been for 30. Well, this 2022 will be my 37th year doing foot, football year. in the stadium and uh, 35th year doing basketball, yeah. So it goes back a while. I started football in 1986 and basketball in 1988. And you started after the, after the great Sid Crocker. After the great Sid Crocker. You know, I, uh, I went to Nichols State for my undergraduate oh, hold degree. On, hold on, you, you, ain't got to, you ain't got to go that far down. <laughs> well, we, 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 I just lifted you up. Uh, look, 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 well, I did get a master's from LSU, <laughs> and Nichols prepared me for that, Lyman. But you know, everybody got to come to, to the uh, to the land grant college sooner or later. <laughs> but um, I went to Nichols, and I got out of Nichols in 1968. If you can imagine how far back that was, and I came to Baton Rouge to come to graduate school. I went to work at Channel Nine. And I met Sid Crocker, because he worked at Channel 9. In September of 1968, when I was covering my very first LSU football game against Texas A&M here at Tiger Stadium, I went up to the press box and uh, Sid said, uh, come over and see where I work. He said, you might be doing this one day. And we laughed about it. We just, we chuckled about it. But he spoke that to you. He spoke that, so it's a prophecy. So you fast forward a lot of jobs and a lot of trips and a lot of moves later. And uh, we're in 1985 now, and the 85 season is over. I heard that Sid was gonna retire from, uh, from the PA job at LSU. And I still knew him very well, although I hadn't been in broadcasting for years. So I called him and asked him who's gonna take his place, and he said he didn't know. Uh, he had no idea, but he wanted to be in the stands with his family instead of in the, in the press box. He had been up there something like 30 years. So I wrote a letter to Bob Broadhead, and you'll remember Bob Broadhead. He was athletic director back there. And uh, I didn't know anybody at LSU. I just simply wrote him a letter out of the blue. I told him that uh, I would love to be considered uh, for the PA job. And I mailed the letter in December of 1985, and I didn't hear anything, nothing. You, you mailed the letter in December. That's right, because you didn't have email back then. You didn't, you know, you had actually had envelopes and stamps and right. you know, signatures and all that stuff. Heard nothing until August of 86. And I got a call from- August, that's six, that's, seven months That's late. right, that's just two weeks before the season. I got a call from the athletic director's office. They said, we found your letter, and I'd forgotten about it. I'd, I'd honest to goodness, forgotten about it. Can you come and visit with us? So I said, sure, so I went over there, 
Bob Broadhead had brought with him some very competent help, assistance. Uh, these guys, uh, they, knew, uh, they knew how to run athletic departments, and he had a young lady who worked with him by the name of Treva Tidwell. All of them come in from, came, coming in from, from different uh, venues. And they said, listen, we got your letter about being the PA guy. Can you pronounce these names? So I, I, I looked at those names, and there was Bourgeois, Boudreaux, Chasson, Sheck Snyder, Zerang, Roderick. I said, pronounce it. I know they're daddies. You know, you I know they're daddies. And, um, and, and they said, uh, you can have the job. Just like that, Lyman. And I said, but really? I said, anybody can learn names. I said, why? They said, because no one else asked. No one. No one else had even inquired about who was going to take Sid's job. So I, I, use, I use this a lot when I talk to young people and, and, and grown-ups, too. I talk about the power of the ask. How, uh, had I never asked, I'd have never gotten the job. And it just so happened no one else had asked. So uh, asking is important. And that's when it started there in, in September of 86. And, uh, you know, hopefully this September, uh, the Lord will let me sit up there again and start another season. Uh, we, and we're looking forward to it. And I'm, I'm so you. excited to, uh, that you, I, I ran into you last, last year, not this basketball season, last year basketball that's right. season. That's right. And I told you then, I said, I'd like to interview you. And you graciously said, well, yeah, just, just give me a call. And that, that meant a lot to me. As you thought about it. Well, I appreciate to, you. Uh, I appreciate that very that, much. That, that meant a whole lot to me. <clears throat> but I guess also people say, why, how can you pronounce those names so easily? Well, I grew up in Thibodeau. <laughs> you know, I was born, uh, I, I was, there, there are two sides to Bayou Lafourche. Two right? sides? Two sides. Now, two side I don't know, I don't know if you had, if you had uh, a Bayou in Franklin. Okay. Bayou Tash. Bayou Tash. You got a real Bayou. Yeah. We had Bayou Lafourche. So there's a, a pavement side. Uh, well, you know, where LA-1 goes down right. toward Grand Isle. And then you have a blacktop side, which is the other side of the bayou that also goes down. So I was born on the blacktop side of Bayou Lafourche, about three miles from, from, from Thibodeau and about a mile from Lafourche Crossing. It puts you right there. And I grew up in Thibodeau. So we, we grew up literally in a, uh, my house was, was, was in a cane field. And so okay. we, we knew all of the people there. Everybody knew everybody else. And there were just tons and tons of Cajuns. Uh, and, and French-speaking peoples. Now, That's where I grew up. Now, did you, did you grow up speaking French? No, I didn't, but I'll tell you an interesting story. My father was one of five boys, and he was born in now, a what's little... Your father, what's your father's name? Lawrence. Lawrence. His nickname was Doc. <laughs> His name was Doc because in, in second grade, uh, one of his classmates fainted, and somehow or another he was told that if you raise up the feet of the people who have fainted, the blood will go back to the head, and they'll, they'll wake up. Well, he did that just, you know, because his mama had told him that's how you do things. And uh, she woke up, and so he got the nickname Doc. From that okay. point on, he was named Doc. Okay. But, but uh, uh, we grew up there. He learned English as a second language. He was in second grade, and all he spoke was French. In second grade, they made them learn English. They, they punished them if they spoke French because they wanted everyone to speak one language. Now, I did not, I'm telling you now, I thought they just did it on my side of town. I did not realize they did that to everybody. Everybody. They, they took the language. They took French they away said, from they took them. The, in the second language right. that you had, some had Spanish, some had French. That's right, that's right. They went, they, they went to English. So, so they punished <clears throat> they everybody. Did. In fact, thing. he didn't teach us French because uh, it was a stigma attached to it. So we had to go to school to learn what little French we learned. But as he got older, he went to, um, he went to a, a place called Williamsburg here in Baton Rouge. 
Well, he lived the last 10 years of his life, and there were some ladies at Williamsburg who had been uh, originally French speakers too. So in the last years of his life, he ended up speaking French all the time to those ladies at Williamsburg. So yeah, we grew up in, 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 uh, in the Bayou country, and um, that's where we were raised. And so those names, Boudreaux? That was, that was <laughs> simple, man. I mean, I'd been to school with all the Rodrigues. Uh, you know, uh, Ruffin Rodrigue Sr. played at LSU. Of course, his son played too. Oh, I uh, didn't know. Uh, 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 the, the son that was. That was I'm talking about Ruffin who passed his, away. Yeah, Ruffin who passed away. Yeah. His daddy his played, daddy played at, LSU. at LSU. Yeah, I, I yeah. both of them had come out of Thibodeau High School. In fact, Ruffin, of, of late memory, what a wonderful person he was, his father and four or five of his father's brothers, Rodriguez, all played some form of college football, every one of them. That's they came from Jack Bay, man. They came from like six miles from Thibodeau. That's where the, <laughs> that's that's where, that's where that's the, outside the country. That's where the men are men. <laughs> and everybody knows them. Uh, but yeah, so that the names weren't a problem. So that, that, that you had no problem with that. No. Now, with, with, but I, but we know that over the years you sound a little more sophisticated now. So you, well, got, you got rid of that. that yeah, that you know. But he, he, interestingly enough, my parents, my mother was from New Orleans. Now, what's your mother's name? My mother's name was 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 Mary was. Marie Louise Kearns. She was Irish. She was from New Orleans, and she got chased to the Bayou Country during the Depression because they lost everything in New Orleans. So she and her family came to Thibodeau to live with relatives. So she never had a Cajun accent. When my dad learned English, he learned it without a Cajun accent. So he spoke just kind of regular English without a flat accent. So we grew up in a home where, where there wasn't much of an accent, where the people didn't, didn't talk as flat as others did. Not that we didn't, not that we thought anything was, was bad about it, we just didn't, we didn't, we didn't speak that way. So we grew up speaking differently. And that's pretty interesting because you know, you're from out the bayou, Bayou Lafou. Oh, I mean, right in the middle of it. And you don't have that accent at all. But you know, Lyman, when I have to shock and put it on, you know what I mean? You put a little bit of that cochon au lait on there, you know, you split that pig, you, and then you cook it, you know. Yeah, right. I, we can do it all, you know. Now, now, how many siblings you have? I have a brother who's five and a half years older, and I have a brother who's 10 years younger. So we had three, three boys growing up. But it's almost like two families. We had big gaps between uh, three families, like, like we had big gaps between the three boys, you know. Now, uh, and also I want to let you know, we over here at the, Dr. Andonia Museum, uh, for the second time, uh, we, the first time I interviewed Coach Dale Brown here, and it's a great place to be at, We're right behind, in front of the Billy Cannon sign. I want to make sure people know where we are doing this interview. They own it on, at Tiger, in Tiger Lane. Yeah, you know, uh, I think we, we, I picked this for a reason. You asked me what a, which one of these gorgeous uh, exhibits uh, that we want to do it in front of. But I picked this because uh, it was during Cannon's era that I became very much interested in, in college football. I became, uh, I, I used to come to the stadium uh, with my aunt, my godmother. How old were you then? I was uh, about uh, seven or eight when I started coming to LSU. You got to be kidding. And there was a family plan where you could buy a $2 ticket for an adult and 50 cents for each of the kids. So she would bring me and my two cousins to football games and we'd sit in the south end zone. I mean, come on, like 50 four bucks for all of us, all right? Uh, not going to work anymore, no, fans. No, Sorry about that. Four hundred dollars. You can't park for that. Um, but but we would come to these, and the games were at eight o'clock back then. They were uh, eight o'clock in, in the evening, 
and they, the, it was a, a true bowl. It uh, it sat 68,000 uh, uh, fans, and uh, there was uh, the lighting that we had back then is no nowhere like the lighting that is that now because back then. Uh, there was no uh, football on television. Okay, so you didn't have uh, you didn't have stadiums lit for football, which no you had to, to do. That's right, because no, there was no evening football on television. So the, the lights were, were adequate, but they were not the bright, bright lights that we have now. And so about eight thirty or nine o'clock uh, during the game, uh, often a sort of a fog would drift over from West Baton Rouge Parish, and it would be begin sort of coming over the stadium. And so even those lights, uh, they had this foggy atmosphere. It was like you're in a different world, a totally different world. And um, so that's why I started coming to, to LSU football. And then, of course, we came through the 58 season. I was 12 years old for that season. So you watched Billy Gates watched them all in person? In person. And uh, years later, uh, after he was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame, uh, I interviewed him. We did two uh, long-form interviews, uh, 45 minutes each. They were on the, we did them uh, uh, on the field in Tiger Stadium. And we talked about his career and all of his ups and downs, everything he had faced as a player and as a, as a person uh, and before he was inducted uh, into the College Football Hall of Fame. So I treasure that moment and I treasure the fact that uh, we're here in front of his poster. It is an honor. I mean, I, I never knew him that well. But the times when we when we, I ran into, I remember one time I had some LSU footballs, and I, I was I had Nick Saban sign. That's when they, after they mm -hmm. won the championship, and I saw him walk across the street. I, I went over there. I said, uh, Bill, I need to you know, sign these balls. Said, why, why you want my name on there? <laughs> he was so I, modest. I said, uh, well, why, why wouldn't I? Because I said you won the first the national championship. I said, this is going to be right. pretty interesting. That's right. And, 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 and of course, the Heisman Trophy, yeah. too. So yeah. I don't know what happened to the bowls that I had. <laughs> <laughs> you probably sold them on eBay, Lyman. Well, you know how it goes. They exist this. So I don't yeah. know. You, know, you get rid of stuff. You, yeah. you give it to let other people have things like that. But his life is a, uh, it, it's truly uh, inspirational how he went to, uh, to, uh, to Angola and became the dentist for uh, all of the inmates there. He, and, he ran that dentistry program, which was a, right. uh, uh, a magnificent contribution that he gave back, you know. Yeah. You know, he, he, he was a good, a good, a great man. He was an easy guy to talk to, and always, always made himself available. And he did you know? absolutely. And I, I, I knew that about him, so yeah. I can say that. Yeah. But you know, but Joe's story is a very, very interesting story too. A country boy from, from Thibodeau. Most people can't spell Thibodeau. Where everybody know how to spell Thibodeau. <laughs> there's no e in Thibodeau. Some people make it e a u x, but it's. AUX. There's okay. no, there's no E. T H I. T H I B O D A U X. Yeah, because most people cannot spell Thibodeau. Well, you're right. I'm well, you, well, I, well, I can understand that, you know. <laughs> and, and the Thibodeau is south of Baton Rouge, almost uh, right. I guess two hours. Yeah, about an hour. Well, it's about a little, about a little over an hour from Baton Rouge. <clears throat> you go if you want to go through Sunshine Bridge. You go down Sunshine Bridge, and then go down LA One, and you hit Thibodeau, and eventually you're going to hit. Uh, you're going to hit uh, Raceland, you're going to hit Matthews, you're going to hit uh, La Rose, you're going to Golden Meadow, you're going to get Fouchon, and then you're going to end up in Grand Isle, man. Now, now where's Shriver at? All right, Shriver's between Thibodeau and Homa. Homa, okay. Yeah. Homa. Shriver is in Terrebonne Parish, right. barely over the line. And, and the reason why Shriver's important is, is because the Southern Pacific Railway had a uh, terminal in Shriver. And the trains that would come in from all the way in Los Angeles, from Los Angeles to New Orleans, they would stop in Shriver. 
and my grandfather, my daddy's daddy, ran a taxi. He was a taxi driver, and he would uh, he he would pick up people at that station and take them to Thibodeau, Homa, and Morgan City because it was centrally located between Thibodeau and Lafourche Parish, Morgan City, and St. Mary Parish, and uh, you know a little bit about St. Mary Parish, and uh, and Homa and Terrebonne Parish. So that's where my daddy that's where my daddy grew up. It's where my grandfather made a living and raised five boys. Now my daddy's daddy is from Bayou Black. Bayou Black. So we used to spend a lot of time going to Bayou Black, which across that little bayou right there. Right. Uh, and Homer, my family had some family at Homer. So yeah. as a young boy, we traveled there on a regular basis. So I'm familiar with it. You know the area. I'm familiar with it. And you know, it's like we, we're tethered to that soil. I mean, we grew up there. We, our roots are there. And we go back there and we see friends, and many of them have passed on now. But we had some experience there, I think both you and, and, and myself as, as, as young boys, that we wouldn't trade for anything because it helped, it helped develop us. Now, now you, you went to the big, you're from Thibodeau, but you, so you, you attended high school, Thibodeau High? Thibodeau High, that's right. That was the only high school at the time? Well, there was another high school. Uh, there was a separate, uh, we were separate back then, separate but unequal, separate but unequal, and we had, a, we had a high school called C.M. Washington High School oh, where our, our African-Americans went. Okay. And then we had another uh, high school for boys called Thibodeau College, and it was run by the Brothers of the Sacred Heart. It was a Catholic school. Then they had a, uh, they had a school for, uh, for girls called Mount Carmel Academy. So it was Mount Carmel Academy for girls, Thibodeau College for boys. And then we, 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 we were the heathens over at Thibodeau High School, you know. Those Catholic school girls and boys, they said, man, don't go near those guys, you know. They're the heathen guys. <laughs> okay, that's pretty interesting. In a little small town like Thibodeau, that right. time it was a very small community. It was. Y'all had four high schools or four schools. We had, we had yeah, we had four high schools. C.M. Washington, Thibodeau High, E.D. White. I'm not E.D. White. It was Thibodeau College back then and Mount Carmel Academy. So now it's E.D. White? E.D. White is a combination of Thibodeau College and... Mount Carmel Academy. They formed a regional Catholic school there sometime back, back in the late 60s and they became E.D. White. Now, we also had a college there, Nichols. Nichols began as a, uh, as a, as a, a one-building junior college in 1948 and uh, it became a state college then eventually became a state university and it it is an economic and academic engine for that area. I mean, there was no, no one dreamed in 1948 when they put that little building there for junior college that that school would literally explode and become uh, not only a place where people could get their educations, they didn't have to go to New Orleans or Baton Rouge to get educated anymore or to Lafayette where you had, uh, at that time, you had Southwestern. Uh, they could stay in Thibodeau and get their, and get their college and that's where I went. So and all the people from the bayou can go to school right there. That's right. It was like a safe haven too. But. I grew up, we, my daddy built a house across the street from that little college in 1954. And I moved there when I was eight years old. So you lived right across the street? I lived right across the street from the college. And so when I graduated from high school, my mama said, where do you want to go to school? College. I said, mama, let me ask you something. I can stay at the house, right? She says, yes, you can. I said, now let me see, I can get three squares and a cot right here, three square meals and a bed. Uh, and all I gotta do is cross the ditch to go to class. I said, I'm staying right here. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't budge, man. So you stayed Stayed in Thibodeau, stayed at home. Yeah, I commuted from my house across the ditch. You commuted, to the, yeah, a little bitty, little bitty ditch. Did, did you work at that time? I did, as a matter of fact. I worked for a, um, uh, a radio station in Thibodeau. We had a, 
uh, at that time, the college didn't have a radio station or anything, but there was a commercial radio station called KTIB. And I became good friends with some baseball players because uh, we had a very good baseball program. The coach of our baseball team and our athletic director was named, was named Raymond Didier. And Coach Didier had been a coach on the 58 championship team. He helped Coach Cannon. But he was also a baseball coach, and he coached LSU to an SEC championship in 1961 in baseball. Then he became athletic director at Nichols. So I, I got to know a lot of the ball players because everybody knew everybody at Nichols. We only had about 1,500 students in the whole college. Now, now, but hold on. Yeah. Now, we, now we got the voice of the LSU Tigers been for 37 years, but you never played football. No. No, I did. No, I, I did play. Let me tell you. Okay, I played. I, I, I played some, you know, some bantamweight football, like sixth grade football. Guy stiff on. He four on me one time, and I and I and I got out of that real quick. But in in high school, I I went out for football, and there were a bunch of walk-ons. We back then you would call them walk-ons now, but we were all the walk-ons. All the players they had been to camp already. They went. They went to Percy Quinn. And they beat each other up during the summertime. So when August came along, late August, they were all in shape. And anybody who wanted to go out for football went out for football. So I went out. And we were running a, uh, a punt drill where the two strikers, the ends, would come down and they would tackle the guy who caught the punt. Okay? So my friend Weasel Diaz was standing Weasel. about 10 yards to the side here, and they, they kicked the ball to Weasel. Weasel grabbed it and he ran and Freddie Adams tackled him and he broke his leg. He broke Weasel's leg. They had to carry Weasel off. And so I'm thinking to myself, this is not really a punt drill. This is a, this is a, this is a tragedy getting ready to happen. So Lyman, what they would have, they punt me the ball after they drag Weasel off. You know what I did? I fair caught it. I fair caught the ball, and, 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 and Freddie Adams was coming to kill me, and he saw the fair catch, and he, he pulled up like, Coach, uh, uh, where am I supposed to hit this guy? Well, the coach jumped me, and he said, son, he said, you're not here to fair catch. He's from Mississippi. I love him. And, and, and that was a message to me that I should be a, uh, I should be a manager rather than, you, you rather than a football player. You should look for another professor. That was it. That was it. So I became a manager and I started taking uh, the statistics for the team because <laughs> my PE period was the same as the team's. So I got to travel with the team. I got to, uh, you know, I had a, a wonderful time getting to know the game. In my junior year, I got a call from uh, the editor of the newspaper. And he said, Dan, he said, uh, you, you're taking all the statistics. You write down who made the stop and who, you know, why don't you write the story about the game and we'll put it in the paper. Well, you know, this is, this is you know, a byline, man, big time. But I told a guy, I said, uh, I said, I don't know how to write a story about a football game. All I keep is the numbers. And Lyman, he gave me the best advice I ever had. He said, it's very simple. He said, first you tell the score and then you tell how it got that way. Tell the score, tell how it got that way. So that's when I started writing about, about football, okay? So I got an interest in that. So I went to college. That athletic director, who was also the baseball coach, he wanted to give publicity to that baseball team. So he went to the local radio station and he said, listen, I'd like to, I'd like to sell the time so that our baseball team can be on the radio, because we play, back, back then we play about 40 games, I guess, but they play a lot more now. 
And so they did that. They, they sold the time and Nichols Baseball started on the radio. They didn't have anybody to do the play-by-play. -play. They just had a, a, a fellow who was a salesperson. And so they asked him to do the play-by-play -play, and they asked me, because I knew the players, to be his color guy, his commentary guy. So the first game, it's a true story, he, uh, he's calling you know, the play-by-play -play, and, and, and I started uh, giving the commentary and I took over the play-by-play. -play. And after the game he said, listen man, he said, you can do this because I'm going back to the station and sell advertising time because I don't make money when I'm calling baseball and you've got it. So for four years I did every Nichols baseball game. Now you was a student? Student the whole time. You yeah. a student at Student at Nichols. Traveled with the team, dressed with the team. He made us dress in coats and ties and yeah. we had to look, you know, presentable. And so it was, it was good discipline for me, see. Okay. Yeah. That, that's a pretty good good me, but but you fair catch the ball. I came from Yeah, oh yeah, I did that. I did that. <laughs> you fair and I never get MT Tick Tatum was the coach. And MT Tick Tatum told son, this is not a fair catch drill. And I realized that because of what they did to Weasel. <laughs> Poor Weasel. Uh, Weasel still around. Weasel Weasel, I think Weasel became a pharmacist, probably you know, because he fell in love with the drugs he took with his broken leg. You know, no. But but seriously, yeah, he, Weasel broke his leg and I wasn't gonna have it. They broke Weasel, he broke Weasel. Yeah, yeah. Freddie Adams broke Weasel's leg, actually. So you knew then that, I knew then that this, was, this, this won't work for you. Of course. It wasn't gonna work. But so I I figured look, I can do something better than that. And look, so. guess what what you what you do uh, that nobody hitting you, nobody That's right. you're not ducking or dodging. But it's interesting how those little things in life open up doors that you would never imagine. But that, uh, you know, it, 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 God has an incredible way of putting you in places where you ask yourself, why am I here? And it's only years later mm. that these types of things get revealed. So. See, that's, that's a big thing. As, as, one, as a part in, in time, we all ask, well, why am I here? Why yeah, exactly. do I exist? Exactly. That's a, that's a powerful question. How does this fit into the great plan? And oftentimes it takes a, a long time to understand how it fits. What, what, what is my purpose? That's right. I mean, it, so you found... Even, you're still looking, I mean, you're still searching, or you, or you say you found that at this point in time? Oh, no, I think life is a continual search, being open to the promptings of uh, your faith, uh, and, and, and attempting to serve, serve God in ways that uh, benefit uh, mankind. I mean, uh, and in doing so, you glorify Him and you glorify uh, his son. And, and so uh, life is a, I think life is a constant uh, open book in terms of discerning where you need to be. Mm. And you, I think if you, if, you, if you, you know, depend on God for that kind of guidance, then some doors will open and some doors you would like to have open don't open, but in the long run you see why that didn't happen. And uh, it becomes clearer the older you get. Yeah, I, I, I like that, I really like that. Now growing up in a big city, <clears throat> You got your nerve, man. <laughs> Suburban Franklin. Come on. Uh, so now, what what did you do growing up? And and besides, before we got to what what, what kind of activities what y'all played or what what is? I what had two cousins who uh, whose mother was my my, my godmother, uh, who began taking me to LSU football games when I was seven eight years old. Uh, they lived on a farm with my grandmother, and so I spent so much of my spare time on that farm. We had a couple of horses, we had a milk cow, we had chickens. Uh, we, I, would, I would harvest eggs in the morning for my grandmother. I'd help my uncle milk the cow. 
and we'd have fresh eggs and fresh milk. Um, so it was, a, it was, you know, it was, an, it was the idyllic experience because um, I loved growing up. I loved being with my two cousins. One's a year younger, one's three years younger. So we were very, very close friends as well as cousins. And that's what we did. We, uh, we hung out at the farm. We played, uh, there were always uh, other kids over there. Uh, by the way, it was, it was a mixed race gathering. We had African-American kids. Back then. Back then, and we had, uh, you know, we had kids who were our neighbors. And um, we all, we, we, it, was like, it was like there was no, uh, there was no racial barrier back then. I mean, we wanted to play football, or we wanted to play baseball. Uh, it was all, it was all a team type thing. So it was a great experience growing up and um, taught me a lot about, about human relations and a lot about life. And, and that's what you have done an awesome job with in your life. We're well, very kind. Uh, creating and putting you know, human relationships and communications and building connections. You got very, very good connection. I appreciate you, man. In the state. So you moved from the big city of Tipito to Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge. Worked, worked two years here in, uh, in, in radio and television. So now what brought you to Baton Rouge? The, the graduate school and um, the job. I married while I was here because I married my childhood sweet, my actually my college sweetheart from Thibodeau. From Thibodeau, so she's originally from Jackson, Mississippi, okay. where her her, her daddy uh, was a big old Miss fan. But we converted her pretty soon <laughs> once she she moved to Thibodeau when she was ten. But yeah, and so she taught at Estruma High School at the time. Estruma was a a very uh, vibrant, very. Uh, uh, a famous high school here in the, in the late because 60s. Billy well, Cannon plus guys like Fuzzy Brown, Fuzzy and, Brown and those guys were all just the coaches and the principals and stuff. Then I got a call from Nichols uh, and said, listen, would you like to come down and, and teach broadcast and journalism and also be head of, uh, of, uh, of publications and public information? So I said, sure. So we moved back to Thibodeau in uh, in 19 in the middle of 1970 and only seven months into Thibodeau I got a call from a friend of mine in Washington who worked for a United States Senator and he said Senator Ellender is now the chairman of the Appropriations Committee he is the president pro tem of the Senate he's got some big jobs he needs help would you come up and work for him in Washington so I went to see the president of the college and I told him I said I've got an opportunity to go work for Senator Ellender I had spent a summer up there when I was at Nichols, I'd spent a summer working for a congressman in Washington. Who was the congressman? The congressman was Ed Willis, who represented the third district, who represented St. Uh, Mary Parish, and Iberia Parish, and Lafayette Parish, but he also represented Lafouche. And so I went up and worked for him for a summer before I came back to Nichols to finish, so I knew some people up there, and one of the people I knew is the guy that called and said, invited me up. So I went to see the president of the college, I said, uh, Dr. Galliano, I've got an opportunity to go work for Senator Ellender. He said, uh, do it because you'll help me more up here than you're helping me there. I'm not yet help me more up there than you're helping me here. So he tore the contract up and I went to Washington. And we worked up there until Ellender died. Senator Ellender died in the middle of a campaign. In fact, uh, later this month, it'll be 50 years since he died. And after his death, uh, Edwin Edwards, who was the governor at the time, brand new governor, he appointed, Louisiana. Louisiana, Edwin Edwards appointed his wife, not Ellender's wife, because Ellender was, was a widower, he, his wife has already died, 
uh, Edwin appointed his wife, Elaine Edwards, to go to Washington to be a senator while an election was held to take Senator Ellender's place. So when Elaine came to Washington, I worked for her, okay? Then Bennett Johnston, who you probably remember, he got elected. Once he got elected, she resigned. She gave him the seat. She came back to Baton Rouge, and then I went to work for Senator Russell Long, who was the other senator from Louisiana. Russell Long. Russell Long, yes. Yeah, so I worked for Russell Long for several years. And then, I, 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 you mentioned I'd worked for Edwin. Uh, Governor Edwards called me, and uh, he said, listen, uh, I'd like you to come down and be my uh, chief executive assistant, and uh, later my executive secretary. And, uh, so I talked to Senator Long about it, and uh, he said, listen, you should do that. He said, uh, he said, governors are twice as powerful as senators. I said, how do you mean? He said, well, there's one of them and there's two of us. So that meant, he, that, meant that governors were twice as, twice as powerful in his funny reasoning. So then we came back to Louisiana to work for Edwin for so two and a half years. What, what was it like working for, working for the great Russell Lowe? Well, it was, uh, it was quite an experience because we worked for him uh, during a re-election campaign as well. Now, his daddy was Huey Long. Huey Long was Russell Long's daddy. And uh, Russell was, I think, 16 years old when his daddy was assassinated. So he was a very young man. Russell went on to go to LSU, became president of the student body, uh, joined the Navy during World War II, uh, was uh, on a ship that uh, invaded Sicily during World War II, and then came back and ran for the U.S. Senate and won. And uh, he won every race he ran until he just retired. He decided not to run again. And then he spent a nice, nice period of time in retirement before he died. But working for a guy with that kind of influence was very interesting because you got to see a lot of how laws get made, how legislation gets, uh, you know, gets offered. So it was fascinating. In other words, so the other way you see that whoever got the money. Well, you, you see how the sausage is made, <laughs> you understand? But, but having been involved in both Eleanor's campaign and Long's campaign, I traveled around the state and went to all the parishes, all the parish seats, you know, like Franklin and, 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 and Thibodeau and, you know, uh, got to know a bunch of people uh, just because I was hanging around with these senators. So when I went to work for Edwards, it was like slipping in a, you know, uh, an old shoe because I was just doing at the state level a lot of what I was already doing at the federal level, working with with public officials and stuff like that. Now, so. now, now you, went in, you went in working at Edwards in what capacity? I was his executive, uh, chief executive assistant. Okay. So it was, it was a, a and, and how long did you work for? Two and a half years. Well, you know, we, so, you know, Edwards was, was a, became a dear friend of mine. As we, yeah. Yeah. we did a little, little we, uh, we spent some special time together. Well, we did too, and, and uh, I, I, you know, I, I really, uh, and I don't want to overstate this, but, uh, it's the type of job that I would see him virtually every single day, and we would we'd talk about things, about decisions that were made, how to how to make those things work, and we always had requests from people uh, to do this, do that, and uh, uh, Edwin had a f favorite phrase because people would call me and say, "Look, I, I, I supported Edwin in the campaign. Would he recommend me for this? That type of thing." So I'd go see the governor. I'd say, "Governor, what?" Do you know this guy? If he really wanted to help the guy, he said, yeah, tell him I'll be for him or against him, whatever helps him more, okay? So most of the time that meant to be for him. But after uh, all of his uh, terms and after his, uh, you know, after his return to, to uh, as a free man, uh, I saw him uh, very often and um, I spent a lot of time with him. Uh, and uh, 
saw him uh, the Friday before he passed away. So uh, it kept the relationship up over the yeah, years. Matter of fact, we lost him almost a year ago. J a little over a year a ago, year actually. Ago. Yeah, yeah, right. July the 12th. There yeah. in July, July yeah. the 12th, last year. So we, we truly miss. And so let's go. So you end up you end up being in politics from sports. Yeah. Statistics, yeah. cover guy, yeah. not, not, not announcing games at that time. You no, no, and I was done by that time. I, mean, I, I was kind of away from it. I had, a, I had a, as my daughter said, I have a real job. Uh, you know, I've had to, by that time I had three kids. We had three kids, so we got, were. Name and name the three children. Well, Jason's my oldest. Uh, he's almost 50. Uh, he's got two kids and a beautiful wife. They live here in, in Baton Rouge. Uh, my uh, first daughter is uh, Elizabeth. She's a 48-ish, 47-ish. She never married. She had ovarian cancer uh, a little over 10 years ago. And uh, so she decided, uh, knowing that she could never conceive, uh, she adopted a child at birth. And uh, we took Leo out of uh, the cornfields of Iowa, and we brought him to the cane fields of South Louisiana. So he's our, <laughs> he he's can't se tell a difference. He's seven and a half years old now. Uh, our, sec our second daughter has four children. She lives in New Haven, Connecticut with her husband, where they met when they were in school. And uh, our youngest is David. He's a musician in um, Nashville, recently married, and uh, just finished uh, mixing and pressing a new CD of music that he wrote and performed. Well, so. He'll be the Grand Ole Opera? Oh, he'll, 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 he's been around there. Uh, he's, uh, he's getting ready to market it now. It depends where country, it goes. It's, 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 it's really kind of crossover music. It, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to, it's hard to uh, classify it. It's, it's music that tells a story. So it's, oh, okay. we're proud of all four of them. So I, you know, we were banking these kids and then uh, Edwin got reelected. And I had an opportunity then to go to work for a big company. I went to see the governor about it. Now, you have to understand he was elected once and he was elected a second time. After that second time, he couldn't seek re-election again. He had to wait four years to seek it again. So he was beginning a second term that he could not repeat without waiting four years. So I went to see him and asked him what he thought I should do. He said, well, you, you have a young family. He said, uh, uh, my power is going to dissipate every day I'm in office because I can't run for re-election. He said, and uh, this time next year, no one's going to be standing in line to, uh, to ask you for anything. So he said, oh, you ought to take a job where you can take care of your family. So that's when we shook hands and I went to work for Kaiser Aluminum and worked for a big uh, multinational Fortune 200 company for 10 years, but stayed in Louisiana. Even though I had several states that I was responsible for, uh, we never had to move from Baton Rouge. Now, now what kind of company is Kaiser Aluminum? Back then, it was a, uh, a company that, uh, that made aluminum metal, that made uh, aluminum cans, aluminum forgings, aluminum uh, extrusions, uh, anything aluminum they made. They also had agricultural chemicals. They also had real estate. They also had a shipping company. They had a, a huge energy company. They were a multi-diversified, uh, multi big worldwide company. What did you do? I worked as a uh, vice president for um, public affairs and public relations. Uh, I worked as a lobbyist and as a public relations person for the company for uh, about, for right at 10 years. And we had three huge plants here in Louisiana, uh, but because of economic situations and conditions, we 
we had to shut two of those plants down, which was the hardest thing I ever did because I was involved in uh, laying off uh, 3,700 of my of my colleagues, uh, 2,700 2, from uh, Chalmette and 1,000 from here in Baton Rouge. So those were sad days in a way. But it helped me understand the dynamics of uh, what happens when corporations, for whatever reason, have to, have to make drastic changes and downsize. So I had an opportunity to go other places with uh, Kaiser, but I didn't, want to, I didn't want to move. By that time, I was doing LSU football and, and basketball, and an opportunity came to go to work for the Louisiana Chemical Association. So, so now, you, you, you are also, what you've been doing this since 80. From, I, went, I went 78 to 88, I was with Kaiser. 78 to 88, and in 88, I got an opportunity to do for an association of companies a lot of what I was doing with Kaiser, and that's when I went to work for the Louisiana Chemical Association. So the Louisiana Chemical Association was already in existence? Already in existence, and their executive director retired, and so uh, I, I knew a lot about it because uh, the company I worked for was a member of the association, so I knew the people, I knew the committees, I knew how it all worked, and they said, well, look, why don't you... Why don't you come and, uh, and, and do it? So I went to work for them because I knew my next move from, for Kaiser, as soon, eventually I'd have to move. I'd have to either go to Oakland or I'd have to go to uh, a posting in, uh, in Ghana where we had a big plant that they were looking for Ghana, somewhere. Africa? Yeah, yeah, they had a big plant in Ghana. Um, the problem with Ghana uh, was that uh, the kids would have to be in school in Amsterdam because there was no school in Ghana for the children of expatriates. They call people that work overseas expatriates. So the kids would have to go to, go to school in Amsterdam. So I didn't want to commute from Ghana to Amsterdam. So uh, I said, you know, I think I'll just stay in Louisiana and I took the job with the Chemical Association. Which was good, which was a great change. It was a, it was a, it was a, a wonderful move. Now that job is what the job that you retired at. Yeah, after almost, uh, yeah, about 28 years. And, yeah. and, uh, and you was able to pass it on to a dear friend. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, I'll tell you what happened with Bowser, man. Uh, who, who, who uh, we talk about Gregory Bowser. Okay, You're listening to me, Gregory. And we hope he make a speedy recovery. <laughs> That's right. From, He's got both knees fixed. He thought he, was a, thought he was a better man than what he, what he is. Football injuries, man. Yes. But uh, in, in 1990, uh, 91, uh, Governor Romer was governor and he had some really good people working for him. And we wanted to hire somebody to represent us in the legislature who had uh, credibility, who had ability, and who could blend in with the culture that we had at the Chemical Association. So we didn't look at anybody else. We didn't have a short list, a long list, or anything. We just, uh, I called Greg, and we had coffee at a little, um, a breakfast at a little place called Cafe St. George, which is gone now, but, uh, and we talked about his plans, what his, his plans were. And, you know, with, with governors, you're, you're, your life is tied to their career. When they go, you go, okay? So you never have any certainty when you're in the political arena because Unless you're the candidate himself or herself, you're always working for the candidate, okay? So you never know where you're gonna end up. And so Greg, I think, saw an opportunity to- He worked uh, for Buddy Rome at the time? He worked for Governor Rome, yeah. And he was, he was they were good guys, and you, you fellows out there who might have worked for Rome, you were all good, but I have to tell you, Greg was the best, okay? So we hired the best. <laughs> he was handling uh, all sorts of stuff for Rome. He was a confidant, he was a you know, top aide, number one, top aide. He was handling state police work, he was handling uh, health and hospitals, he was handling corrections, he had all kinds of things uh, under his responsibility. 
And so he came to work for us, and uh, over the course of uh, you know 25 or more years, he was my he was my wingman. So when when I left, um, we gradually over the years, uh, because succession planning is important with these big companies that we represented, we began a process of succession planning. So that when I left, when I handed the baton to Gregory, uh, there would be a smooth exchange. Yeah, well, you know, because he can't move, he can't run now. <laughs> <laughs> he, he will, he, he will, he will. Epitaph still sitting there. <laughs> Starting line. Well, he's done a great job. Well, it's been, uh, you know, I, I, I uh, retired at the end of 2016, and, and Greg's done a great job. And still doing a great still job. Still doing a great job, absolutely. So we just we wish you a speedy recovery. To get we back do, we honestly on his do. Feet. Absolutely. That's pretty serious to have a. Well, both at the same time, and, you know, I, I, I get the reasoning behind it. And get it over with, but the, yeah. it takes a little. It takes some time. It's a lot of pain. It takes some lot, time. I mean, I'd have had quite a few knee surgeries, and I, I, yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. So, but so now you done went all kind of directions, places, mm -hmm. to end up as the voice of the LSU Fighting Tigers, football and basketball. What? You don't deserve baseball? Or that I need to go talk to somebody? You know, I no, no, no. Oh, Bill Franquez does a great job with baseball. It worked out great for Bill because when that job came open, um, there were, uh, the baseball, they just play a lot of games. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, I could, I could just picture the commitment that would be. Of course, Bill is the sports information guy for baseball. So he fits perfectly as the PA guy. And then when they go on the road, uh, he oftentimes provides color commentary on the radio for the team when it's playing on the road. So um, Bill's perfect for it. In fact, I'll tell you a story, Lyman. Uh, one of the things I did, uh, we do as a, actually a couple, my wife and I discerned uh, that, uh, uh, that I would want to look into uh, being a deacon in the Catholic Church. So um, in 2000, uh, five, I began what's called a formation process where you go to school and uh, you learn a lot about your faith and about five years later you get ordained to be a Catholic deacon. So I became a Catholic deacon in 2010 and that's provided something else in my life uh, that I, I think I was kind of looking for and that is some some direction with respect to my faith and so uh, what it has given me the opportunity to do is to also work with our bishops. We've had, I worked for two bishops. Uh, our, the, the bishop who ordained me is Bishop Munch. He's retired. He's called Bishop Emeritus now. And the bishop who took his place was Bishop Michael Duca. So I worked closely with the bishop and uh, I'm the media spokesperson for the diocese. Uh, and so a lot of things come my way media-wise that I'm working on now that I worked on when I was with the Chemical Association many years for the chemical companies, but yeah. now I'm working on these things for the church. So all of that training and all of that, training. it's still, still, still training. But I, I'm going to back into my story about Bill Frankass. Three times in now 36 years, because I'm on, I'll be starting my 37th, but three times I've missed football games. The first time was um, there was a, uh, a retreat that I had to go on for my diaconate formation. And it was the night of an LSU football game. Now, Baton Rouge didn't schedule this retreat, but I was in the program 
for the Archdiocese of New Orleans at that time, and that program, it doesn't care about LSU football. All it cares about is Saints football. See? So the Archdiocese scheduled this retreat, so I had to go on this retreat, couldn't do the ball game. And it was a silent retreat, so I couldn't listen to the radio. So Bill did the football game for okay. me, and we won that game. Okay, okay. so All keep right. that in mind. Right. Fast forward years later, LSU has a has a, an away game against South Carolina scheduled, okay? So LSU's not playing in Tiger Stadium, so I can do other things, okay? In fact, there ain't no, ever any wedding scheduled on the day of an LSU football game. You can get that, because the groom's gonna be at the game. <laughs> the groom. <laughs> and maybe the, the, the bride, too. No, these okay? days both. So two, a wedding was scheduled uh, in New Orleans, and I was asked to, I was asked to be the deacon to officiate at the wedding. In other words, to marry these, this couple. Oh, and, they're and they're having, oh yeah, and they're having the wedding in New Orleans because they know LSU's not playing <clears throat> in Tiger Stadium. Well, that's the time that terrible flood hit uh, South Carolina. And South Carolina couldn't play in Columbia. So they came here to play. So there was a game in Tiger Stadium, and I was doing a wedding in New Orleans, okay? So so, so I said, well, what did you choose? I said, well, you know, football games come, you know, every week or so, but marriage is forever, so I'm gonna do the wedding. So Bill Frankaz did that game, okay. and we won, right. okay? Fast forward a couple more years. A basketball game Friday night in the Assembly Center, and I forget who it was, but I, I was, I, I gave it everything I had, but I gave it too much because I had a cold and I blew my, blew my voice out, so I couldn't talk. So I woke up Saturday morning before a football game, and I couldn't talk. So I texted Bill, and, and Bill was available, so Bill did that game, and we won that game. So in 36 years, I've missed three games. Frank has is 3-0. and Bill, you're a good luck charm. <laughs> so he, he makes it look good. When it? Alabama comes back this year, Bill, you may have that one. <laughs> but you but you've announced some big, big time games, some big, big explosive games in Tiger Stadium. Yeah. I mean over thirty seven years we yeah. all can imagine sitting there. Okay, now give what is game day like for Dan Barney? What is game day like for you? It's it's very uneventful. You'd be surprised. Huh? I, I get to the stadium about three hours ahead of time. <clears throat> I don't do any tailgating. Uh, well, I you just, can't you'd be half drunk. Yeah, well, or oh, more than that. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um I get there about three hours ahead of time, and, and by that time, I have the rosters of both teams. And, and Lemon, you know how this works, that flip charts. You know, okay. you, those of you who are not familiar with flip charts, it's, it's what they are, they're, they're charts that flip. flip charts. You have the offense and defense, and then you have special teams, and the, the media, uh, they get these uh, to, to use during the game. But you just studied the, the teams the week, during the weekend? Well, I have, I have. Mostly I've looked at, at the pronunciations of their names, okay. you know, because the visiting teams often come in with, with names that are very different from ours, especially from the East. They'll have Polish names and they'll have Czech names. And, 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 and for a while, there are some SEC teams that brought in uh, uh, players uh, with African last names which are sometimes hard to pronounce. They're Americans, but they have, they have African last, uh, last names. And so, yeah, and, and I get help on that because uh, with every visiting team, a sports information guy or gal comes along and they help you with those names. So to get about, I get there about three hours ahead of time. Yeah, because your mothers hate when somebody mispronounced their, their child's name. Women really, mothers hate uh, you, want, you want to hear a story about that? <laughs> yeah, let me hear one. 
my first year doing football, I go to LSU, I go to the LSU Texas A&M game, Huntsville. We we stayed in Huntsville, and we we bust over to the uh, to the stadium for the A&M game. And that whole season, people were saying, "Is it Wendell Davis or Wendell Davis?" And I always called him Wendell Davis. And people would say his name's Wendell. And people who off the street. <laughs> So I'm checking out of the hotel and getting ready to get on a bus, and a lady says, Miss Ms. Davis, I said, are you? I said, ma'am, how do you pronounce your son's name? She said, my son's name is Wendell. And that settled it for me. From that point on, <laughs> it's Wendell Davis. Because that's what his mama said. I'm not going to cross the mama. Look, I've I've seen mothers turn around towards the boot of the game and say, my son's name is what That's right. Like you can hear. Oh, yeah, I can hear that. So they they take it serious. So uh, about an hour before the game, we start making announcements. And so... um, Hold on, hold on. Now, what what you eat before the game? Oh, there's a a pregame meal. There's always a buffet out there. Oh, okay. They feed the press. They they do a pretty good job of feeding the press. Although sometimes we have what's called tube steaks. A tube steak is a hot dog. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. But, you know, we have red beans and rice and all. They they do it. They do it. The caterers do do a great job. And I, I usually eat right when I get there or whenever I, whenever it's first open because I rarely, uh, I like a couple hours between a meal and when I have to do anything. So when I go to a banquet, I never eat. But if I have to talk, uh, I, I won't eat. Like I go to the, I go to the banquet to, uh, you know, uh, for the Hall of Fame or whatever, I won't, uh, I won't eat until after. But all that being said, um, about an hour before the game, the uh, announcements start. So I'm sitting there, I have a person next to me who is running a computer, and a person next to her who is sort of the producer and director who's, who's, who's on the uh, earphones, headphones, to a room in the administration building, which is a television studio. It's, 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 it's like a network television studio. So everything that goes on those big screens that you see, the jumbotrons, it all gets punched up in, in my booth because they run all of that, okay? So that when they're running a spot from a jumbotron, be a TAF spot or L club spot or whatever, I know that the next thing is going to be my turn and I'll read this. And the director will point to me and say, well, you know, it's, like, it's like an organ grinder pointing to a monkey, you know? <laughs> all right, go. And, and, and I just grind it, you know. All I do is read it. I don't write it, you know. People say, man. I, they said, what do you do? I said, I call the plays after they run them. After I mean, I don't call them before they run them, you know. Okay, that's a good way to look at it. So uh, we go through all those spots. Then uh, we bring the team on. They do their, their pregame warm-ups. Then they go out, and then we bring them on again. And that's when it all breaks loose. It's Saturday night in Death Valley. Here come your fighting tigers of LSU. They come through the chute. Play go, the place goes crazy. Uh, then we have a coin toss. Sometimes we have uh, honorary captains. You've been out there. Uh, you know, I give the temperature and the chance of rain. Everybody says, never. And then uh, all of a sudden a football game breaks out. And what I do is I depend on two people uh, who stand right to my back. They're called spotters. And one of the spotters tells me the number of the person on offense who carried the ball or who caught the ball and the other person tells me the number of the person on defense who makes the stop or who breaks up the pass and then I look at those numbers on my chart and I say uh, so and so carried 
so-and-so uh, made the tackle, so-and-so broke up the pass. Now, Lemon, I'll tell you something. Years ago when I started, I had guys spot for me. And what I found real soon is that the guys don't want to spot. They want to coach. See, so, so I'll ask, say, say Bowser would be, you know, he'd be spotting for me, see. I'd say, Gregory, uh, who made the stop? He'd say, 52, 52. I said, Bowser, there is no 52. He said, we're on a 5-2 defense, and we should have dropped that fifth guy back and put him in the middle of the line of linebacker. Yeah, that's what he knew best, though. He, oh, he knew it. He knew it. So I said, Bowser, I, I, who made the stop? Well, made the stop? I, I, I don't know that. who made the stop, but I, that defense ain't going to work. I said, Bowser, you know something? Gregory, are you good? But, you know, you really ought to be in TV. And let me tell you what, he went to TV. <laughs> You spoke it, you spoke it to him. I spoke it, man. Yeah. For years. But, but, he, but I, I would tell him that when we, we was young, we both uh, entered into LSU graduate school. Right. And uh, so we had to go work with Jerry Stovall and, and uh, Pete Jenkins. The grad, grad assistants. The grad assistants. Yeah. We'd be in there. <laughs> now, I just got through playing football, right? And we'd, we'd be in there. Breaking down the the, yeah. the, the, the the films back then. No video is film. Oh, film, yeah, right. So we'd be in there breaking down the films, and Greg start to like, well, you know, it's a it's a five four defense. I don't think this is gonna work. So we, he would have these conversations. I knew defense, but I wasn't that interested in it. <laughs> I was not that interested in it. But I would listen to him talk. I said, Greg, you really, you need to be a coach, or you need to be doing this because you know the game, you love the game, you articulate the game very, very well. And so, he, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. So, you know, he, wouldn't, he didn't know the opportunity would prevail. Well, he did a wonderful job in television all those years. I mean, he was on Jefferson Pilot at one time, he was on ESPN, he was on uh, the SEC Network. Yeah, he, he, yeah he so, so, other words, so you well, realize so, the spot. Well, but wait, I got, so I got me another guy. That's another guy. So I got another guy, and I ain't gonna tell you who it is. So, here's, <laughs> so the pass goes down you there. Tell her, you gonna tell her another the, the, the pass goes down and it gets broken up. I said, who broke up the pass? He said, we should have run a post instead of a flag. <laughs> what do you mean, a post? I don't want to know what we should have run. Who broke up the pass? Got rid of him. So now I have, I have, I have two girls, two gals. Hold on, hold on, hold on, Greg. Greg, he's going to tell on you, but he ain't going to tell on us. No, I ain't going to tell us. That ain't fair. <laughs> it wasn't you, Lyman. <laughs> so. I have these two girls, and they are fabulous. Uh, one, is named, one is named Sarah, <laughs> okay. and the other one is named Chelsea. And they're former students of mine here at LSU, because I was an adjunct here for several years. And I'll tell you, Lyman, they are perfect. <laughs> they are perfect because they don't care whether it's a flag or a post. They don't, they don't, they don't want to know the difference between a 5-4 and a nickel. They don't want any of that. They just, they're, they're interested in one thing, who, who made the, the number. Yeah, who That's that? it. So I got them, they're, they're, they're wonderful, and they never make a mistake. And when you say correction, when I, you hear me say correction, it's on me, it's not on them. Oh. I, I've messed it up, because they're perfect. And here, and, and, like sometimes they'll have For a, real, they're that good. I, that's for real, they're, they're, they're that good, they're, they're great. And, and what I do is sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll call me a week in advance and they'll say, you know, I have a wedding this weekend, can't spot this weekend. So well, I'll get somebody to take your place. So I, I find another, another woman because I know that the hand-eye coordination is so good, okay? And so all I do is I said, so, you know, so would you like to spot for me in Tiger Stadium? Well, what does that mean? Well, you have to know, you just have to know your numbers. So what I do is 
I write down the number 82 on a piece of paper. And I said, no. Can you tell me that number? If they say 82, they're in. If they say 28, I say, nope, sorry, maybe next time. All they have to know the difference between 82 and 28. They have to know the numbers. And those gals are just, they, I love them. I mean, I just love them. I just so, I can't do without so them. So the men just don't fit that. that. I, I, I'll tell you a true story. A guy could come up to me and say, look, I promise you that I will not, I will not try to coach. I promise you. And then for the first three series, maybe, that guy will be spot on. You know, 52 carried the ball, 28 quarterback made the tackle. You know, that it, about the fourth possession, <laughs> that those genes start coming, you know, and, and they drift into coaching. And you can tell when they're in it because they, 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 they don't give you the number right away, see. He said, hmm, that guard should have pulled, should have pulled. He's he, too late pulling on that play. Well, I don't want to know about the guard pulling late, man. I want to know who made the play. Who had the ball? So, you know, I ran them off. Ran them off. So, oh, so. I, I, so for the last 10 years, you got Oh, man, no longer than that. Longer than that. Oh, yeah, 20-some-odd years, all, all uh, so, so female you, spotters. So you, yeah. you really love Greg, but you can't work with him. No, 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 no. He, he's a TV guy, man. He knows that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty interesting, though. Now you you coined you coined how you say that word this this term that become have become a synonymous with LSU football. Uh, well, and, that, and that's something very simple. Chance of rain. Yeah. So what 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 that's about? Lyman, years when I was a kid, I was coming to the games with my uh, my godmother. I told you about. She would always say, uh, "It never rains in Tiger Stadium." I mean, she would say stuff like that. And I never, and I just never, I never really realized what she was talking about. I don't know if she knew, but she don't bring a raincoat, never rains Tiger Stadium. Years later, I'm, I'm doing the PA. I give the weather cast, and I would give it straight. I would say, uh, you know, for the first maybe eight, nine years, it's, it's 82 degrees, humidity is 100%, the wind's from the south at 40, you know, four miles an hour, uh, chance of rain, 20%. And one night, and I didn't, I didn't plan it. I mean, I just, I let, let me be cool and say this. That wasn't it at all, you know. It just, I said, chance of rain, and I just, I just said never. And uh, it caught on. And all of a sudden, uh, if you don't say it, people are going to look for you. Yeah, okay. now, thank goodness they don't know where I am in that, in that stadium. Uh, but yeah, so now I say chance of rain, everybody screams back, never. Well. John Ed Bradley, who's got something in this very uh, place here. John, John Ed. Play with John. Well, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't, he could, he could block me. <laughs> Nobody could, Lyman. Come on. But John, I'm telling you, you couldn't block well, me. Well, he, you know how intellectually he is. Yeah. Sharp guy, wonderful guy. Good man. He wrote a book, It Never Rains in Tiger That's Stadium. Right. And, he, and, he, and I, he and I actually chatted years ago about where this never rains come from. We're not real sure where it came from. Uh, but now uh, people sort of expect it. Now you have T-shirts that have, you know, chance of rain and they have never on the back. So you get paid for this? No, 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 no. I don't get paid. I, I hope LSU is getting paid because I mean they ought to be able to get some royalties on that. Say, when you say never, they start pouring down rain. Yeah, well, you know, it's a heavy mist. <laughs> 
You know, it never rains. <laughs> it never rains the Tigers team on Saturday. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe even PA announcers and guys who have uh, uh, in the blogosphere and who have these great uh, videos that you do, maybe we can get uh, name, image, and likeness, huh? Ooh, NIL. Yeah, NIL. <laughs> I, I, look, we, we didn't. You didn't have I any know, of that, Lyman. I wonder, can you get what you call that? Uh, when you get, go back, can you get retroactive. Retroactive. Yeah. Yeah, can you make the retroactive? <laughs> we get paid too. Yeah. Now, I wonder what's going to happen with this name, image, and likeness. It's just, I don't know, where it's yeah. going to go from here. Yeah, it's they, way, they, way above my pay grade. And, and you know, when, when, you, when, you, uh, when you combine the NIL issue uh, with the uh, transfer portal, those two things combined, I think, make coaching a lot tougher nowadays. It's harder to be a coach because there's so many moving parts that a coach has to pay attention to or have people that good people that pay attention for him or her that um, uh, it, it's very hard now uh, with transfers and you know now you look at some players and uh, they've maybe been to three schools it's almost like a, in the NFL where uh, you know a 10-year veteran you could say well he started with Minnesota he went over to you know to, to LA now he's you know he's with St. Louis um, it's almost like college guys have those same types of uh, you introductions, know, you know? I'm not mad about it because <clears throat> a coach do it all. Coaches do it all the time. And nobody questions it, right? Yeah. And they get paid for it. The players can't do it. Yeah. And they wouldn't get nothing for it, right? Yeah, but it, it does make coaching it, tougher. Yeah, but it, it kind of, it, to me, it was, it was holding the players hostage while a coach can leave in the middle of a season and go where he, where he or she chooses right. to go. Right. So now it kind of... Uh, uh, bring some balance there in a way nice the, the dilemma going to be to me is the money situation because uh, for one player to be able to get a whole lot of money I thought they should have maybe put it where it goes into a pot and divided among see, yeah. all the yeah. players instead of one player or two players we know the quarterback running backs Receive these guys gonna you know they the one they gonna be the money guy because their name always being thrown yeah, out there. Yeah. So that's kind of would be be my concern. But even like the you know people gonna have to ask gonna start asking questions like with the NCAA like you know they've been pocket money for many many years yeah. and yeah. you know they gonna have to figure out okay where where your money going how much money you been getting paid. You know I I was kidding I was, my wife and I were talking about it the other day I, I think it's gonna have to go through several stages before they get to something that uh, that everyone can workable can, yeah yeah it's gonna go it, it it takes time for these types of things to mature but you know I said if I'm a quarterback and I'm, I'm an NIL guy. My blind side is going to get a piece of that action <laughs> because when I'm back here like this, I want that left guard and that left tackle to be in love with me, <laughs> you know, because I want those guys blocking, man. But I, would, I don't know, I mean, because it's going to be the conversation in the locker room will be, would the players get mad at each other or, because in the NFL, it was, it's different. You, it's, you know, everybody know what everybody's right. contracts are. Right, right. And everybody know what they agreed to. Right. And you know, it didn't matter what app or what round you were in. I'm playing. I'm here. I get paid this amount of money. This is what I agree. But in college, ain't nobody agreeing to nothing. Yeah. So they tell you whatever best deal you can get, yeah. you get it, and that can cause some issues and concern. Particularly if one, they all keep going to the same, going in the same direction yeah. to the same people. So I, you know, we're gonna. Well, like like I said, it's gonna take a while for it to. Um, <clears throat> it's gonna take a while for it to to. to 
to be formed in a way that I think everyone understands what's going on and the why is there and then there's some equitable issue that uh, somehow or another has to be worked out. So now, that's, uh, thank goodness that's above my pay grade. Though. Now you've worked for how many head coaches at LSU? Oh, since uh, I was I was hired when Arnsbarger was coach. Oh, that was a great coach too. Well, yeah, Arnsbarger um, had <clears throat> an incredible ability to, to change a game plan in the middle of a game. He, he could adjust so quickly, especially defenses, because, I mean, he's the guy that coached that Miami defense when they were undefeated and Super Bowl champions. That was, that was Arns Barger's defense. Uh, and I just respected him tremendously. And, of course, he came and Archer, uh, Mike Archer, uh, actually won a championship. Uh, then uh, we, we sort of had a long decade there of uh, like a long winter of discontent, you know. We had Curly, and then we had uh, Jerry. And then, uh, yeah, and then Coach Saban came, and uh, everything was kind of, you know, moving, moving up when, when Nick came. So, so what, what, what was your experience with Saban? Uh, didn't know him well, knew him, uh, uh, respected him tremendously, and uh, enjoyed um, the discipline that he brought have no ill will toward him like some of my friends have. You know, I, people say, man, you know, he's the, and I, I just kind of feel like um, if, if, you, if you can't beat him, don't criticize him, you know? Yeah, and, yeah, he, <clears throat> he took a job at Miami. It was his life's ambition to be a professional football coach. I mean, he, he, he was, you know, he knew Bill Belichick, worked with Belichick, so he, he was of that ilk. So he had an opportunity to go to, to Miami. It didn't work, it didn't work. So he takes the best college job available at the time, just so happens to be Alabama. And it could have easily been Michigan. It could have easily been uh, Southern California. It just happened to be Alabama in the Western Division. And so uh, I don't bear him any ill will for that at all. But I will tell you a story about Coach Saban. Coach Saban is a very devout Catholic. And he was a parishioner at my church when uh, he was here as coach, he and Terry and, and uh, the kids. And every Sunday at 9 o'clock, Coach Saban would be in that pew, no matter where they had come back from, along with his wife and his two kids. Every Saturday, six to seven hours before a game, Coach Saban has a <clears throat> priest come in and uh, celebrate a mass for him and for whoever would want to attend that 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 mass, okay? And then, of course, they go and they, they play the game. 2010, the first year that Coach Saban comes back to LSU as Alabama's coach. And so I know there's going to be a mass. And so there's one over at the Crown Plaza. And a priest here, a Baton Rouge priest, celebrated that mass. And I assisted at that mass as a, as a, uh, as a, as a deacon, okay? So we chatted after and, you know, high-fived and all that kind of stuff. Well, that night LSU beat Alabama in Tiger Stadium. Hold that line. 2010. 2011, we go there. 2012, we come back to play them. They come in here to play, okay? So I know there's going to be a mass. So I sent Terry Saban a note, and I said, can I help set up for the mass? Can I get the, get the priest? Can I do this? Can I do that? So she wrote back and said, look, there's a fellow that works for Nick. He's a graduate assistant, GA. You know what those guys do. He, he handles all this. He's going to call you at 10 o'clock in the morning on Monday. Talk to you about it. Monday before the game. So I'm in my office. I'm in, uh, Lyman, I'm not kidding you. At 10 o'clock. 
<laughs> not one minute to 10, not one minute after 10. 10 o'clock, bong, bong, bong. This guy calls. I mean, Nick said, call at 10 o'clock. The guy calls me at 10 o'clock. He says, I'm so-and-so. He says, I handle all this for Coach. He said, uh, Coach said uh, to tell you thanks but no thanks. This year he's bringing his own priest. <laughs> <laughs> True story, Lyman. Nick said, y'all said it about True story. Time. I mean, we, we couldn't put the Gregory on him, you know. So, yeah, he's brought his own priest ever since. And uh, as, as I mentioned, he's a, a, a tremendous benefactor. In fact, he's endowed the uh, Catholic Student Center there at the, the University of Alabama. So he's a very, very... Uh, oh, he can always donate and give. A very devout guy. Yeah, because he's done that over here with... Uh, he, he had, I think he had two requests when he was hired. He wanted an academic center. Academic center. Okay. And so that's the Cox Academic Center. And that, that center, of course, uh, it helps everybody on campus who wants help over there. It doesn't necessarily have to be just an athlete. And then he wanted a, a, a really first-class football operations building. And, and uh, Coach uh, Pre uh, Chancellor Emmett, Pre you know, Don, uh, uh, Mark Emmett, he was, he was the chancellor who hired him. And uh, he made the commitment for the Cox Student Center, Academic Center, and for the uh, football ops building. So those two things uh, but, but, were... But Nick left before they finished the football. Well, but it was in the, it was in the mill. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and so when, when, when um, of course, Coach Saban was hired. He was a, kind of the first million-dollar college coach, you know. And uh, I, I'll never forget, I, I called Joe Dean. Joe was the athletic director when Coach Saban was hired. I said, uh, I said Joe, I said, um, you should be getting thank-you notes from every coach in the SEC. And you knew him. Oh, Danny boy, I'm making them all rich. I'm making every one of them rich. Look what we've done, you know. Of course, and, and and from that point on, it's just it's just going up. Yeah, so. to look what the coach now is yeah. making—that's yeah. phenomenal. What, what, what that number is? It's uh, it's got a lot of zeros. Yeah, it's a lot. But but you know, I tell you, with all of that, I I, I think our new coach, he took the job because he loves to compete against the best. That's what I see in Coach Kelly. I see a, a, an incredible competitor who's willing to hunt with the big dogs week in and week out and to earn the kind of respect that he worked so hard to earn at Notre Dame, which, which I think was, uh, he deserved a lot more credit than he got at Notre Dame. And I think now he's got the opportunity to really uh, really show off how good a coach show, he is, and I think it's going to be. I, yeah, I really, I really believe that he's going to be a terrific coach. Now, just, now, the whole, the whole program, I think, is going to be good. Now, I heard that that he came and wrote a check out to your son and bought the house right across the street back here, across the water over here. I think I'm covered by what's called a non-disclosure agreement. They call them NDAs, so I can't. Uh, I, I, I would count on it, but I think my my son would. <laughs> yeah. But well, no, no, he, 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 he did purchase my, my son and my daughter-in-law's home. Uh, they had bought it, uh, and they fixed it up. The opportunity came to... Uh, they, they, were they living in it? Or they oh, living? no, they were living in it, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. But it's like everything else. Um, some people get emotionally attached to some things, some don't. Uh, I don't. Uh, the opportunity came to uh, to put it into good hands, and, and they took the opportunities. So. That, that was pretty good. That was that was a pretty good move. And coach is right 
<laughs> well, it's, it, it is a beautiful location. Right. It's yeah, on the point. Awesome location. Though. Yeah, because you, you, you see Tiger Stadium out of the, there's a little study, the beautiful study there. And then my son would. Oh, 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 they, they let you came visit with him? Oh, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, of course, I had to stay in the house in the back, you understand? Oh, yeah. In front of the house, you know. I had to cross the pool to get to the front of the house. I wish I had to do you then. Then I could have been busy. Can't get it I think everybody's happy. Uh, it was a you know everybody walks away happy. It's a good deal for everybody. Oh, it's a great deal. It's a yeah. great deal. Now, as far as you as the voice, let's go now. Who started calling you the voice? Well, you know. Um, People sometimes they say the voice of the tigers, but I'm not really the voice of the tigers. That's uh, that's that's another guy, you know, and I love him. I'm sort of the voice of Tiger Stadium and the voice of the Mavericks, and I do men's basketball. So, um, the guy who called me voice and he uses it uh, even to this day is Skip Bertman, because Skip, you know, Skip's got a way of calling people what they do rather than what they are, you know. Uh, uh, he'll call you, uh, you know, uh, football guy. See, football guy. That's you. That's Lyman White. You know, football star. Well, he he called. He doesn't call me. He calls me voice. 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 So, you know, the he voice. He he he. Um, Lyman, you know, after every uh, after every home game, uh, after every game, the coach has a, a press conference uh, Monday after every game, and. Uh, at that game, talks about the previous game, talks about the coming up game, and everybody's a free lunch, so I go because I eat free. <laughs> After one of those games when Coach Saban was a uh, coach, uh, Skip was the athletic director back then, after uh, Joe left. And uh, Skip walked up to me after one of these, and he says, voice. He says, I got an email from a guy who says that uh, uh, they're not taking off their hats for the national anthem. Uh, he said it's disrespectful. He's announced to really please remove your hats for the playing of the national anthem. So I said, well, Skip, I'd love to do that. I said, but you have to understand, the band is all about tradition, you see. The band is, they've been doing the same thing for years and years and years. I mean, in fact, they've been doing the same thing since General Sherman was president of LSU in 1860. And they don't like to change. <clears throat> out of the blue. He says, uh, voice. And by this time, you know, he's, uh, he's rolling up his sleeves like he's coaching third base. And he's scratching himself in places where you, you, you can't show. He says, voice. He says, do you know how much a tuba costs? I said, I said no. I said, uh, he said, well, he says, last week I bought the band seven tubas. He says, when the band needs tubas, they come to skip. See, skip buys the band tubas. He said, they've got 32 tubas now. <laughs> he says, you know how much a hotel room costs in New Orleans for a bowl game? You know, I could skip. <clears throat> He's still scratching. He, I said, yeah. I said, costly. He said, well, yeah. He said, see, he said, the band doesn't want, you know, four to a room. It's too crowded. <laughs> he says, they got too many tubas. He says, they want two to a room. They don't want four days. No, voice. He says they want six and six days. I give them two to a room. He says, I give them six days. He says, uh, you tell whoever makes the announcements about the band 
that this has nothing to do with tradition and everything to do with tubas and hotel rooms. He walked off. So I called the guy who does the band. I said, Skip would like you to announce, please remove your hats for the playing of the national anthem. And oh, by the way, do you know how much a tuba costs? <laughs> you did tell him. Explained it to him. <laughs> so now, before every, not just for a football game, before every athletic event, we say, please remove your hats for the playing of the national anthem. Now, now, Lyman, the moral of that story is that one person made that happen. Just one person had a good idea, a good recommendation, and he made it to a person who had the power to do something about it. So I teach that too when I talk to the kids in groups. I said, you know, the, the, there's tremendous power in one person making a recommendation or asking the right question. So now, fast forward a few years, the Texas Rangers are in the World Series. And I get a call, and it's Stanley Bertman on my caller ID. So I pick it up. He says, voice, skip. He says, uh, did you hear the PA guy at Texas Stadium tonight for the World Series? I said, no, Skip, I, I didn't hear it. Well, he said, please remove your hats for the playing of the national anthem. We're making progress. And he hung up. <laughs> yeah, so you, you get stories like that. Hold on, now, now you got to tell a story. Uh, when you was calling the game, what game was that? Unless you beat Auburn at that game yeah. and the, the, the students. And the band, well, told the band to play a certain, a certain song? We, we, we had, we, 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 I think it was a Florida game. No, we, no, I think it was Auburn. Well, whoever it was, we won. Yeah, it was the Earthquake and, game. And, no, this was a different game. The Earthquake game was different because Skip, Skip was not the uh, okay. athletic director back then. So the, 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 the fans go onto the field. We beat somebody. Everybody takes the field. The, the, and, the, uh, student, and the, the student body was, would normally the, the student body would, would be they, they normally they would come down. They would come down from you know from their from their seats. Okay, and and what they did was they put a whole phalanx of guards there, uh, you know, uh, to keep them from coming down. Well, about eight minutes left in the game, the student section starts emptying, and I, I'm thinking to myself, where are they going? Uh, they just, left of the game. They start going. So then I look across the field, and in the portal across the field, where there are no guards, I see heads, and I see nothing but heads going back there. Okay, the students had left the student section, gone around the stadium, and gone into the other entrance, where there were no guards. So when the game ended, they came out of a portal where there was nobody guarding it, and they took the field. <laughs> And I turned to a buddy. I turned to a buddy. I said, "You know, we're not a military school for nothing, buddy. I mean, when they say take the mountain, we can take it." So they are on the field, and uh, it's it's pandemonium. It's crazy. Everybody, you know, we, we've got grown men uh, lying down in the middle of Tiger Stadium, you know, doing these these things and pulling up grass. And so we're trying to get them out, and they're moving them out. But the band keeps playing, keeps playing, keeps playing. So Skip walks in and says, uh, uh, "As long as the band is playing." Uh, they're not going to leave. So uh, tell the band to play one more song and then quit. So Ronna Gray, who was working at the time, she, she gets on the, uh, on the uh, what they call it, walkie-talkie, tells the band, play one more song and quit. Well, the message comes up, what song? Skip says, tell them to play God Bless America and then leave. So she says, play God Bless America and then leave. 
So the silence, and then all of a sudden, the click comes back, and she turns to Skip and says, Skip, the band doesn't know God bless America. <laughs> and Skip says, my goodness, everybody should know God bless America. Oh, they're just, you know, there are thousands of those stories that, that uh, they're just a lot of fun. The band did not know God bless America. Well, yeah, well, you know, I mean, not every band automatically can call up any song. They just they have, they didn't have the sheet music, I guess. But, uh, I mean, I wouldn't know how to play it on the piano or anything. So. Anyway, it's been a lot of fun uh, over, the, over the years. And uh, uh, I look forward to, you know, as long as the Lord uh, gives me the opportunity to do it, and as long as LSU thinks I'm up to it. Uh, but in the end, Lyman, when, uh, uh, when I feel like I'm slipping, or when they tell me they think I'm slipping, then I'm just going to hand the mic back to them and tell them thank you, because I don't, I don't own it. It's just on loan to me. Uh, and uh, I will consider it a great honor and great privilege to do it. But that's amazing. So you're talking about in, in 70 years or less that there's only been two voices of yeah. the LSU Tiger That's about right. Yeah. In se yeah. almost 70 years. Yeah. That is a, uh, amazing. And you, and you are one of them. What is that feeling like for you to be? Real blessed and lucky to have the opportunity to do it and to have support from my family that uh, lets me go off on Saturdays and, uh, and do this and uh, spend my weekends in the fall uh, doing football. And of course, I love basketball too. Uh, we have about 17 playing dates every year in basketball. And I love doing basketball. The difference is that it's much more intimate, that it, uh, people know where you are in basketball. They know exactly where you are. They can come down and find you. In football, they don't know where I am. In fact, I used to have a, uh, I used to have a booth on the 50-yard line. And it was a small booth. It was uh, four people, basically. That was it. And one of my special guests, uh, one of those games was uh, Britney Spears. I was there. You were there. About to say that. Britney uh, came to the game because, uh, not because she was supposedly daily, dating Eli Manning. That had nothing to do with it. We, we play an Ole Miss that game. She came because her, her, her cousin, Laura Covington, was a golden girl. And Laura was a, a dancer. Uh, who went on to dance professionally and now owns a, she owns a big dance studio up in Kentwood somewhere, but she's, she's still teaching. But there was no place that you could, you could park uh, Britney Spears without getting mobbed. So they just dropped her off in, in, in my booth. Okay, so she sat and watched the game from, from oh, our booth. No, no, that ain't the one then. It was like in, the, in, nine, in the 2004, she came, this the game she came to and she walked up to the booth. Now I that, took a picture with her that game. Well, there you go. So anyway, she, she, she was one of my guests. But all that being said, in, in 2000, um, I guess it was five, uh, or the end of the 2004 season, uh, I got a call from Skip. He says, voice, come see me. So, so I go see him. He says, oh, I got some good news and some bad news. He says, the, the good news is, you're going to get a brand new booth. It's going to be huge. He said, you'll be able to sit maybe four people across and some people in the back. He says, the bad news is it's, uh, it's uh, on the goal line in the south end of the stadium. And the reason is uh, your seats that you had, they're too good. We're going to sell them. So he sold my 
50-yard line seats. Now It's now part of the Tiger Club, whatever they call it there. And we're down at the goal line, uh, literally on the, on the goal line on the south so you, end. So you need binoculars to see the well, other side of the field. in a way, it, it hadn't been bad at all, alignment because we got that jumbotron over the over the uh, the north end, and now we have two jumbotrons over the south end. So I can see the south jumbotron, and I can see the north. So I can I can see pretty much what's going on, and I don't need to see much because I got those two girl spotters. Okay, then. Okay. Uh, so, so it's a pretty good situation. Oh yeah, it's good. I like oh, it. Oh, you it's just great. you just had to make the adjustment. Which one? No, no, it was good. It was, it was never never any problem adjusting. No, it was all okay. it, it was good, and uh, there's room in the booth, and uh, it's uh, it's comfortable. Uh, we always keep the windows open. Now, some PA booths have the windows closed. We, our windows are always open uh, because uh, uh, you, you really, it's hard to do a game without listening, hearing the crowd, the natural noise of the crowd. And you, can, okay. you, can, you can do certain things when you know what the crowd's doing that may have a little bit more influence than, than others. But the, you try to keep it straight. You try not to, you never embarrass the other team. And uh, try to keep it straight, but you can you can be enthusiastic for your team, but uh, never embarrass the other team. Now to, to sit there. Never say it should have been a post instead of a flag. <laughs> at least on the PA. How do that? How do that affect you? When you saying, well, okay, we either we losing the game or we got a chance to win the game. You know, we got a chance. To be, we have to we can, And you watching the game, and your adrenaline is running, rushing too. <clears throat> you got to make the plays. Yeah. But you want to win the game. You 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 are a Tiger fan. Well, so, yeah. So how you, you deal with it? Just you just deal with it and try not to let your emotions get the uh, the best of you, and try to uh, try to be as even keel as you can be. Okay, but that's time when. Sure, sure. At times you really want to get you, you, you want to get crazy. When they throw the ball, the receiver drop the ball, or the quarterback gets sacked, and you got to call the next that play. Yeah. So do you like throw your head down, copy? Yeah, I may say something to myself, but I try not to let it. Uh, but, but you can't. You I can't try, come no. over the bike. No, you can't. You have, you have to be careful. You have to be careful. You can't. So, so, so. you can think a lot of things and not say them. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> But but so you but, but but it's hard it's hard not to be enthusiastic though when things are going really good. For example, uh, Joe Burrow's pass complete to Jamar Chase, first down for the Tigers. I mean that you get some enthusiasm. You don't say Burrow's pass complete to Chase for the first time. No, I don't want. To, you know, you got to get a little enthusiasm, get a little life in your okay. voice. You gonna go down as the voice of the you know, Sid Crocker. How you say the name? Like Sid Crocker, Crocker. Right. Was the the fifty eight. Right. Championship, right? You was there for the, the other three. The, the other three, but yeah. the, the big one. Yeah, the fifteen and zero. Fifteen to watch that season. Every one of those seasons was special. Every one of the championship seasons seasons was so special. And and the thing that you know, it's just it's just been a great blessing to do this because um, in each of those three seasons, Lyman had the opportunity to MC the championship celebration that we had for both of those, uh, for all three of those seasons. We had one in, uh, in the Assembly Center for the uh, 2019 season. For the other two, we had the, uh, the other two, we had the celebrations in Tiger Stadium, and it was a, just a wonderful blessing to be able to emcee those three celebrations. You, that's part of history, so you're part of history in a lot of ways. But you know, when you're going through it, you don't look at it that way, but when you look back on it, you say, wow. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's really, it was really experience, great experience. I mean, and it has to, it's a, I know it's a great feeling when people, 
Now, when you lose, and people ain't gonna know who Dan Bourne is. Well, no, they, they know who you are. <laughs> they they just have something to say, like you know, why didn't you call the post instead of a flag, right? So, that's why I say I just call the plays after they run them. I mean, right? you you was there for three championships, and the biggest one uh, under Joe Burr, you was able to call. Jamar Chase, over Landry, uh, Jefferson. Jeff, yeah, Jefferson. Jefferson. Yeah, yeah, Landry's and, gone by the time. And those guys, and be a part of that. Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I mean, I mean, how can you not love Clyde I mean, Edwards-Alaire? I mean, I mean, he's like a fire hydrant with, you know, just huge, huge thighs that just beat people up. I mean, it's kind of like Dalton He. They both had that same. They, 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 great, great analogy. A lot like Hilliard. Yeah, a lot like Hilliard. Uh, I mean, they could hit a hole, come out there, you know, nobody could do it. And had a spin move like a ballerina. I mean, he could he could pirouette like a ba ballerina, just get right he through could, it. But he could stop on a dive yeah. and let the, the guy come to attack and go straight past. And the problem with him on the shoulders, you, you, you ain't, you ain't, you ain't going to get him. And you got to go low to hit him low because he's, he's not six feet two, you know. It's just now, now let, let's talk about the, the big game this year in 2022. What's that big game going to be? The big game is the only game I'm focused on, and that's Florida State. Florida State. That's it, man. I'm not talking about any other game. <laughs> I, well, I got enough coach in me to know but, that. Yeah. But the, the big thing in Baton Rouge is going to be LSU versus Southern University. That's going to be the second game. That's and right be, after we're done at the Dome, I'm going to be focusing <laughs> on that game. That's going to be a big game. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. It's going to be just incredibly wonderful now to this, have that. Now, now this, this, this is what I'm hearing on the uh, from the street committee, mm -hmm. they saying that the Southern, L LSU band said, "Let us go first. Let Southern go because for the home game, the, the the home team always go last on the perform on the band, the yeah. last perform on the field." Yeah. But I heard LSU band said, "Let us go first. Let Southern go second. That's gonna be interesting. I don't know, but I mean, I bet they have some some new some new tubas, <laughs> thirty-two tubas. Um, it's going to be wonderful to see both of those. But I like it's wonderful to see the Texas A&M band and the LSU, LSU band oh, performing at the same game. And those, Texas A&M is a, it's a huge, got a huge band. You know, I tell you, you play, did you ever play in Kyle Field? Never, never played. Play. Um, I'm at the games there, and uh, it's, 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 a, it's a heck of a venue. Boy, it is. It's, I mean, it'll absolutely it'll make your hair stand up. I mean, they, uh, they, it's it's amazing. amazing. I mean, to watch everything is military procedure. Uh, procedure. Yeah. Da, 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 everything the people get to do it is like I mean I thought LSU was one of the best places and here's one of the best. Top it is. It's the best. Thought, but I thought Texas A&M is uh, they up there at yeah. the top. And they they you know been lords that stadium. It's a it's a monster. And you know they got got our one of the LSU old coaches over there. That's right. And uh, a lot of LSU coaches uh, in, in the, the uh, in, you know in the system. A lot of guys that you know came through here. Now what what they're saying is that. Uh, you know, Texas A&M has have had the best recruiting year by far, better than anybody, and that's the first time in, in many, many years that have happened. So yeah, there was they, some there was some lightning that struck between a couple of coaches over that not not too long ago. You know. <laughs> so they said the, the, the what happened the NL what they call it NIL the NIL name image and likeness have really served Texas A&M well. Well, you know what, Lyman, it's just bad they can't go retroactive and pick you up on that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I can see you, I mean, I, I can see you being an ad for a lot of different good companies, you know? Oh, right, yeah. right, right, right. But, you know, like I say, been, how many years? It's been 40 something years. Now. So, but it was a good time. I had a great time. Of course you did, and you did so well. Wonderful.
you did so. Uh, so well. you you was calling some games with Sid in the booth at that time when I was playing. No, 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 no. Sid uh, Sid was calling the games and you played. I started in '88. I'm saying, but you, I mean '86. But you 86. would go you would go in there with him. So. Yeah. Well, no. The, the two years I worked at Channel Nine okay. from 1968 uh, to 1970. Oh, That's when I was in there okay. with him. But I wasn't doing PA. I was covering for a television station. Same time I was covering Pete Maravich when he was playing at the uh, at the John M. Parker College. Did you watch Pete play? I, I, I got the, I got I, I knew Pete. I knew his dad press, and uh, we're going to be dedicating a statue to Pete uh, very soon uh, here at LSU the marriage okay. center yeah okay we all yeah. look forward to it's that. going to be wonderful it's going to be late in july now you also are still one of the ones with the uh manship i do i, I do work with the manship uh, uh i'm on the board of, of uh visitors for the manship school and uh, uh some of my friends have been uh have been inducted into the manship hall of fame and uh, some of my friends have nominated me for that, and by accident I happened to get in. So I try to support, I try to support, and, and the LSU alumni group too. I try to support them as much as now, I can. Now you do, you've been doing this for, for years too for the LSU next door over here at the, at the Log Cooks. I have had the privilege of uh, emceeing inductions into the LSU Sports Hall of Fame, which is really a, a wonderful experience. And I've also had the opportunity to emcee uh, the LSU Alumni Hall of Distinction. Hall of Distinction. Yeah. Oh, so that's how Bowser got in there. Now that answered that question. <laughs> <laughs> I think Bowser got in on his own. Oh, yeah, you know? no, no. I see Bowser. I see Bowser. No, congratulations, Bowser. I think Bowser got in there a few years ago. He did. He did. He did. He, he, he did. He, he got in on his own weight. You know, he punched, his, he punched, it, he punched the head of his but, weight. But it's good to have some connection. And thank you. That's it. He did great. But, so anything that you want to add or you want to say before we check this No, out? I just want to say uh, that. Uh, how, how, what an honor it is to know you and to know of your career and to respect you and to wish you well in everything you do and to thank you for, uh, for honoring me with this opportunity and to thank LSU for all of its support over the years. And uh, I look forward to another season in both basketball and football and don't know where the future will take us, but uh, go Tigers. Go, go Tigers. Now, look, that was pretty good. I mean, we can count time. We were so elated and honored to have you, Thank you. as one of our living legends. Thank you, Lana. And, uh, well, I appreciate you, brother. Business. God bless you, whatever you okay, do. Okay, but look, we got to close by you. <laughs> how, how, do you how do you start the LSU, LSU game again? We got to close with that. Okay. Uh, uh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan Bornet. On behalf of Louisiana State University and the LSU Athletic Department, Welcome to Tiger Stadium for tonight's football game between so-and-so you and your fighting Tigers of LSU. That's how it starts. <laughs> and from that point on, it's on cruise control, man. <laughs> right there. And thank the ladies who do the, who the spot us. Thank you, Sarah and Chelsea. You are my life. I love you. Oh, Lord, have mercy, man. Both, hap both very happily married. Uh, that Chelsea and, uh, and uh, Sarah, you know, he really means it because I know how Greg is because he get on your nerves. <laughs> <laughs> he won't call all the games himself. But thank you, and thank you for welcoming the count time. And we truly appreciate having you here today. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Lyman. You're welcome. God bless. Thank you. Thank thank you, you man. man can shackle the hand. The man can shackle the feet. But only you can shackle the mind. The mind is always free to travel wherever you dare to take it. Welcome to Count Time.